Well, as we return to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul responds to the complaints and criticisms against him. And in that, in his writing here, we find the opposite of what is being said. Paul shows that he is actually the real deal. And that's the title of our message, The Real Deal. The real deal. We're going to be continuing our study here in our new book. We started last week, 2 Corinthians, and we begin with chapter 1 from verse 12 through 24. We're going to finish off this chapter from verse 12 to 24, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I've broken this passage up into three parts, and this is where Paul asked the Corinthians to, number one, consider our conduct. Number two, consider our consistency. And number three, consider our connection. So here's Paul, the real deal. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's begin with in our outline. Consider our conduct. Consider our conduct. Look with me here. Verse 12, Paul writes, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. We're going to stop right there. Now we begin with the Apostle Paul, the author of this writing. And he, he puts out here for our boasting right away. Now, it would be better translated here for our confidence, our confidence. So for our confidence is in the testimony of our conscience. And we know what our conscience is, right? It's that built-in mechanism that God has put in us, that inner sense of when you're doing right or wrong. The alarms go off when you're doing wrong, when you're doing right, you're, you're rewarded with that peace and that sense of I'm okay. Well, Paul writes here, we can say with confidence and with a clear conscience. So that's what he's putting forth here. Basically, he's saying we can say with confidence, our conscience is clear that we haven't done really anything wrong. Now, last time we studied the first part of this chapter, which was the introduction to this epistle, this letter. I encourage you to grab the CD if you missed it so you can follow right along. And now Paul here moves into the body of this letter, or we call it a book in our Bible. And here he right away addresses some criticisms against him. See, what's happening is some false teachers had come into the Corinthian church after he left. They came in and attacked Paul's credibility, his integrity, and now we really see in this section his reliability. And it's all because he made some changes to his plans to come and visit the Corinthian church. Basically, these false teachers came in questioning like Paul's calling, his apostleship, Paul's motives, what's in his heart, and his character of who he is, the person he is. So as he moves into the body of this letter after the introduction, Paul, in response to these accusations, you can say, he says, I can say with all confidence and with a clear conscience and then look at verse 12 that we conducted ourselves in the world 
We'll stop right there. We here, Paul is referring to his team. Later he's going to mention Silas and Timothy, part of his missions team and his traveling ministry team. Well, he says that we conducted. Conducted here means the way they live. Conducted means the way they carry themselves, the way they operate in this world, in this world that they live in. And, and, and he says, you know, we conducted ourselves in simplicity, godly sincerity, uh, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And look what he says at the end, more abundantly toward you. He's saying at the end of verse 12, it's especially with you guys. We, we live before you. We conducted ourselves, especially you, like you guys know who we are. So here's Paul, like consider our conduct when these false teachers say things about us. Well, what is he talking about? What conduct is he talking about? In what way? Well, we see here three ways in verse 12. First of all, he says, consider our conduct and how we live in simplicity. Right there in the middle of verse 12. That in simplicity, they conducted themselves before the world and the Corinthian church. Now, simplicity also can be translated holiness. But really, the focus is on simplicity, where the idea is Paul lived with this single mind, a simple focus, a simple goal with this single mind to live for Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean he was perfect, but Paul's heart is to do this one thing. Paul's heart, his motive is to live for God. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, he wrote, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. In other words, I'm not perfect. I haven't arrived at all. But he said this in verse 15 of Philippians 3. He went on to say, But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. This is Paul. Paul, as he conducted himself, he wasn't about trying to do different things. He had one thing on his mind. He lived in simplicity, and that was to live for Jesus Christ. Well, then he goes on, he adds a second thing. Consider our conduct, he says, and how we live in sincerity. Number two, and how we live in sincerity. Now, Paul writes here in verse 12, godly sincerity. When he says godly, he's referring to this walk with the Lord, to his life, to his godly life. And he says sincerity. Now, the word sincerity here in the Greek is elikliniaia. Elikriniaia. Now, eli in the Greek means sunlight. And klinia means to judge. So this word, sincerity, means to judge by holding up to the light of the sun and to see if it is the real deal. Now, to understand this a little more, you, you, you got to know in the Roman times, there were honest pottery guys and there's dishonor dishonest pottery guys right and the dishonest ones they may make their pots and all of a sudden they didn't make it right and there was a crack say maybe in the lip of it yeah and so what they would do they would fill it with wax and let the wax dry and then it would look like just like this this pot or this jar this plate that they had made and they would sell that as a complete whole nice plates so to speak. Well, 
if you went shopping for a jar of pottery, what you would do to make sure you didn't get one cracked one, you would say, hold up the plate to the sunlight. And if it was filled with wax, you can see the crack kind of transparent, show, the sun showing through that. So that was the idea here of sincerity, judged by the sunlight. The interesting thing is there was so much corruption in that the Roman government finally came in. They have inspectors who do that for you, and they would actually stamp the bottom of the jar or the pot, sincera, which is Latin for sincere, where we get our word sincere. So Paul is saying, look, I live for God. As I live before him, as I try and be godly and, and walk before the Lord, it's all in sincerity. He's the real deal. Number three, the third thing, Paul says, consider our con conduct in how we live in dependency. Dependency. Paul says, look, consider our conduct and how we live our lives, number one, in simplicity, number two, in sincerity, and number three, he lists here in verse 12, in dependency. Verse 12, he says, look, it's not with fleshly wisdom but by the grace of God. It's not with fleshly wisdom. In other words, he doesn't live by human philosophy. That's not how I live. That's not what's behind in everything that I do. The way Paul lived did not come from some worldly outlook on life. No, but his life is lived, and I love this, by the grace of God. The idea is Paul did not live by some self-help philosophy, but grace is what kept him going. Bottom line was God's grace, God working in his life. It was God's grace upon him who's not perfect, who doesn't deserve it, but the grace of God working in his life. That, that, that's only how he could be who he is. Remember John Newton, the once slave trader, saved by Jesus, the one who wrote Amazing Grace, the hymn that we know so well. You know what he wrote once? He said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, looking at his glory in heaven. But then he said, but still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what? I am. I love that. That's what Paul is saying. I live on dependency, on the grace of God. I am who I am. I do what I do by the grace of God. Well, he goes on in verse 13 now. He says, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Verse 14, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you, are, you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, Paul here is saying, look, the, the letters that, that we've written never really had any hidden agenda here. When he says, we're not writing any other things. You know, what we wrote is what we wrote. There's nothing else there. There's nothing like between the lines there. What, what you read, basically, or what you understand was straightforward. And, and hopefully, he says, even to the end or in the end, in the final end, that you'll understand that what we wrote is what we wrote and there was nothing hidden or no hidden agenda motives there at all. And he says that, well, you know what, even if you don't understand it all, 
when that day, the day of the Lord Jesus, is that when we're all in heaven and we're before the Lord, that you will boast, that you will say, yeah, it is true. What Paul wrote was the truth. There was nothing else there. That's what he's saying here. The idea in the end is we will both see that there's nothing to read between the lines in what I've given you. In other words, there's no double talk with me. Yeah? There's no like, like I, I, I say one thing and, and, and really I'm trying to you know, insinuate something else. No, I'm just straightforward. In all of my writings, Paul has said. You know, I was thinking about what's been said about men and women in marriage. Like men say one thing, but then they mean something else. Like men may say, what's wrong? But they really mean, why are you making such a big deal about this? Or like men may say, yeah, I like that dress. But they really mean, just pick one and let's go home already. Well, women do that too. <laughs> women may say, uh, do what you want. Well, they really mean, you'll pay for this later. Women will say, we need new curtains. What they really mean, and I want new flooring, and I want new paint, and I want new furniture. Paul's saying, hey, look, no double talk here. Nothing like that at all. So in this verse, we come to our first point here. Paul is saying, don't get caught up with the criticism and complaining. Consider our conduct and know the integrity in our ministry. Don't get caught up here in this com criticism and complaining. Consider our conduct and know the integrity in our ministry. John Maxwell wrote, becoming a person of integrity means deciding to or integrate my heart's values into daily actions. I like that. That's what Paul did. He took his heart's value, put it into his daily actions, his life, his ministry. So Paul's like, you know, when these false teachers come, don't get caught up with, your, with the, their criticism and don't get rolling into their complaining also. Just consider our conduct and know the integrity in our ministry. Paul, he was the real deal. He was. He was the real thing. He was doing his best to lead. He's not perfect. He was doing his best to lead, not deceive. He's saying, I'm not hiding anything here. Just, just consider our conduct here, how we live in simplicity, how we live before you, how we, how we lived in dependency on God's grace, and, and how we lived in sincerity. We were real. We were genuine with you guys. Let me ask you, can people see in in your integrity by the conduct in your life, that you have integrity that you, by just the way you carry yourselves. Yeah, we're not perfect, yeah? But that can, can they see your sincerity and your genuine, genuine heart there? Can they? Like Paul, even though, yeah, you may not be perfect, do you generally live for Jesus? Do you generally try and do everything you can for Jesus? Here's another way to look at it. Look at this, I should say. Like the Corinthian believers, do you get caught up with the criticism and complaining? Some of us, 
really get caught up with that. Some of us, those are the first words out of our mouth. Always, we're talking about someone or something or some situation. And, and you know what? It's easy to get caught up in that negativity. I mean, there's some people I know, I, I'd rather stay away because it's easy for me. Yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. And like the Corinthian believers, it's easy to criticize and complain your leaders. It was easy. Paul's not there. Paul's not around. Oh, yeah, they can talk free, freely there. Someone said one of the favorite meals after church on Sunday is roast pastor. <laughs> I like that one. Or maybe, you know, like the false teachers, you're the one instigating all of this. Are you one of those? Are you one that, that where it seems only comes out is those criticisms and complaints? You're known for that. that that's all you say. A monk joined a monastery and took a vow of silence. After 10 years, his superior called him in and asked, do you have anything to say? The monk replied with two words, food, bad. <laughs> after another 10 years, the monk had an opportunity to voice his feelings after being silenced. When asked, he said two words again, bed, hard. <laughs> another 10 years of silence went by, and again he was called in before his superior. When asked if he had anything to say, this monk responded with two words again, and they were, I quit. Well, that doesn't surprise me one bit, replied his superior. Ever since you got here, you have done nothing but complain. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> hey, don't get caught up with the criticism and complaining. Consider the conduct. Know the integrity of those around you. All right, let's move on here to number two. Consider our consistency. Consider our consistency the real deal so paul asked the believers to number one consider our conduct and now number two consider our consistency second corinthians chapter one verse 15 now and this confidence i intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. All right, now here in these two verses, Paul explains what happened with this trip to visit the Corinthian believers. He begins, and in this confidence, in other words, because of our special relationship we have, you Corinthian believers, in that confidence that I know, you know about me and this relationship that we have, you know, I intended to come to you and make a second benefit, or I intended to come and make a stop, second stop to see you guys, to be blessed by you and to be blessed together. Uh, I was supposed to, verse 16, to first, I was supposed to stop at Corinth on the way from Ephesus to Macedonia. Remember in the last book, we saw that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in Ephesus and his plan at the end of the book, he was saying, well, I, I'm going to go to Macedonia, but I want to stop by and see you guys. So Paul says to pass by way of you to Macedonia. And then after Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia, to you to visit again that was the second stop and then he would make his way to judea so on paul's heart was actually 
two visits so they could spend more time together, so they could be blessed more together. That was the second benefit Paul was talking about. Well, what happened? Paul changed his plans and only stopped once on his way to Macedonia. He just stopped at that time. He didn't make it back uh, to the Corinthian church after he left Macedonia. His plans had changed, so there was no second visit. So this is what the false teachers were grabbing onto. They took this and they were using this against Paul. They're saying, hey, see, Paul, he's flaky. He's not really an apostle here. Uh, don't, don't believe him. He's unreliable, this guy. See, he said this, and now he's not doing it. You cannot trust what he's saying to you. And here, these false teachers were coming in, assassinating his character. Well, Paul goes on in verse 17, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? Paul's like, since it didn't work out this way, was when I was planning this, did, did I do it lightly? Or in other words, there's carelessly. Did Paul like, well, oh, maybe I'll come, or oh, maybe not, or yeah, I'll come, but not really meaning it? Did, did Paul plan it according to the flesh? According to like how people do things where they say, oh, yes, yes, but they really mean no, no. Paul is saying, hey, are my accusers right? Am I that type of person that doesn't keep his word? That you can't trust me? I do remember, do you remember this? Paul did add one thing when he first started talking about coming and visiting the Corinthians. Remember at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 7, he wrote, This time I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while. And then he wrote these words, If the Lord will let me. If the Lord will permit me. Right? God uh, Paul qualified his plans with the idea, well, if it's God's will there. Verse 18, Paul goes on and says, But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. So Paul says, you know what? Just as God is faithful, just as God is trustworthy, so is our word. So is, so is what we say. It's trustworthy too. We did not waver between yes and no, like yeah, and then do no. Just because, Paul's saying this, just because things didn't go the way I planned doesn't mean you can't trust what I say. That's the idea here. That's what Paul's trying to put forth here. Years ago, uh, I, I remember on a mission trip to Thailand, uh, we took a team of people over there. and be, Before we landed, I, I told our team, I said, all right, here's our plan. We're going to do this here, and then we're going to be doing this and that. But I qualified that as the Lord wills, if the Lord permits in that way. I said, it could change. And I've been on many mission trips where what we plan has changed. And that's just how the Lord is. That We may make our plans and, and set something out, but, you know, it's all submitted to the Lord. And if he wants to change it, he can change it. He's God. Right? So I let the guys know about that. And, you know, 
that's what happened. As soon as we landed and we were picked up by, by Rose Martinez and we support Mercy Ministry Foundations that have orphanages in Thailand. As soon as Rose uh, and, and his, her team picked us up, they had several cars or, and trucks and all. Rose goes, hey, drive, me, drive with me, drive with me. So I sat in the cab with her and she told me, you know, I feel like the Lord wants us to do this, that the guys, we're going to split up the team. The guys are going to go to Ch uh, uh, Chiang Mai and, and help build a wall around the orphanage. And the girls are going to go to Chiang Rai to the baby's home and help them over there. And then I need someone to go to Theong. To, there's a whole new orphanage starting there. I want someone to go there. And, and that's what we did. And I prayed, and, I, and, and we, we split up the team and everything. And as soon as we landed, God had a different plan. Now, it wasn't me, right? I mean, my team guys didn't come. You know what, Rick? You liar. <laughs> they didn't come. No, we can't trust you no more. No, no, it was the Lord. Yeah, we, we set out this plan. But, hey, sometimes God changes things. That's what Paul is saying. Hey, just because it didn't turn out like how it was planned doesn't mean you can't trust what I say. Verse 19, Paul goes on now and expands this thought about trusting God and trusting them. Verse 19, he says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanius, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So Paul says, okay, you guys, con consider this now. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who, who was preached among you, who by us, by, by me, Paul, and then he adds his team. Here's his team, Sylvanius or, or, or Silas, as we know in the book of Acts, and Timothy. You know, when we shared the gospel, when we shared Christ with you, it, it, it wasn't like yes and no. It was no. It, it was no. It was yes. It was like, this is it. This is the truth. In Jesus, it's all yes, Paul is saying. In Jesus, it was for sure, with certainty, the gospel that we preach to you. And he said, verse 20, for all the promises. He's talking about salvation promises in God. Like the promises when you come to Christ, you can be saved. You can go to heaven. When you come to Jesus and you give him your life, you believe in what he did on the cross, you can be forgiven. Yeah? You can make whole again. You can be cleansed. And then the Holy Spirit comes and God comes into your life and it's a life of joy and peace and, and strength and God is with you. You see, this is all yes. This is certainty. This is for sure. This is where we can say amen to. This is for God's glory. So Paul's, the idea here is, look, all what God promised in salvation came true to you guys what we said to you it, it, through your belief in jesus and his message it came true one pastor said when it comes to the claims of jesus in the gospel there's certainty i like that there's certainty we can we can bank on it we can stand on it we can rely upon that those words are trustworthy the gospel and it is true and does come true so here's Paul's point here. Consider our consistency in this way. If the Jesus we preach is trustworthy, then count us trustworthy in other things too. 
Consider that consistency. If the Jesus we preach is trustworthy, then count us trustworthy in other things too. Now, Wednesday night, we're studying through the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And it's, it's an interesting book. And, and is, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, have sinned, gone after I, I, uh, idols and sinned in idolatry. They abandoned the Lord now. So God's bringing judgment by bringing the Babylonian army to take them into captivity. And God has sent Jeremiah to tell them that, to see if they would repent and turn. But as Jeremiah is coming in with this message, you know what's happening? These prophets, Jewish prophets, these priests now are telling the king and the kings during that time that, oh, no, don't listen to Jeremiah. That's not true. God is going to be with you. This is Judah. This is Israel. This is Jerusalem. The temple is here. Would God really abandon us? No, Jeremiah is wrong. God has spoken to us, and we're going to make it through. But we know the history. We know the reality. We know what happened, that those false prophets, yeah, they weren't speaking for God. Matter of fact, we just read and studied last Wednesday that the, God was saying, why are these guys speaking? I didn't give them that message. Yeah. Well, I didn't tell them what to say. Why are they running around like uh, the Lord told me this when I didn't even send them? Well, in the end, in the end, when Nebuchadnezzar came and took away right, the Jews to Babylon, who was validated there? Jeremiah, his message. So whatever Jeremiah says is trustworthy. It came to pass. Well, that's the idea here. Paul says, consider this consistency. If, if the Jesus we preached to you is trustworthy, you guys got saved, you got forgiven, you got eternal life, you have new life, then when we say other things, count as trustworthy in other things too. Consider our consistency here. Missionary to Africa, really a pioneer missionary, David Livingston, once feared for his life when he first, first went to Africa. And he wrote this. It's, it is evening. I feel much turmoil and fear in the prospect of having all of my plans knocked on the head by savages. Well, as he wrote, God began to minister to his heart. Then he said this, But Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. Then David Livingston wrote in his journal, This is the word of a gentleman, of the most strict and sacred honor. So that's the end of my fear. I feel quiet and calm now. Isn't that awesome? He took God for his word. He took God for what he said, that Jesus would be with him always, even to the end of the earth. And then he says, okay, I'm okay. I love that. I love that. So Paul's saying, hey, consider Jesus now. He would never vacillate. He would never say yes, but he really means no. No, he would keep his word. So trust us too who brought you that message. You know, I was thinking about this. If Jesus keeps his word, the question is, will we? Will you? As servants of the Most High God, as lights and witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, are you consistent 
to how God carries himself? Are you consistent in your character, in God's character? Someone said the messenger should reflect the message. Right? Amen? Amen. Let's go on to number three now, our last heading. Our last heading, consider our connection. Consider our connection. Paul's the real deal here. So Paul asks the Corinthian believers to consider our, number one, conduct, and number two, consider our consistency, and now number three in the rest of this chapter, consider our connection. Consider our connection. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, to understand the flow here and, and how he's flowing from what he just said into here, uh, I, I want you to f see, focus on three words here in verse 21. Here Paul writes, us with you. Do you see that? Us with you. In other words, Paul and the Corinthian believers are connected here. They're united here. And how are they united? Well, Paul really puts out four ways they are connected in their salvation in Jesus Christ as believers, as Christians. And the first one is believers are all established together. Believers are all established together. Paul says, now he who establishes us with you. We're put together we're established together the word established is actually a business term that that speaks about a transaction that's like this done deal like it's done that's it contract has been signed we, we we've agreed there's agreement here it's done and it's established now it's it's done now so here paul is saying hey you know you, me, Corinthian believers, we're saved and we're united together. And being united together, it's God's done deal. We're one family. So the idea of Paul is like, hey, to go against me, to go against Paul is to go against one's own family and bringing division in that family. John MacArthur wrote, by attacking Paul's authenticity, the Corinthians ripped the fabric of the church's spiritual unity. Paul's saying, well, look, we're established together. God put us together. He saved us, and, and we're, we're, we're like one. I mean, Paul, what, founded the church, right? He, he established a church. He raised up leaders. He was there almost two years, and then he went on to, to start other churches. I mean, these are like his babies, you know? These are the ones he raised up and discipled. That's why he feels so close to them. He goes, hey, now he, God, who establishes with you in Christ. Number two, believers are all anointed together. Believers are all anointed together. Now, now Paul says we're connected with this connection because we've all been anointed together. The word anointed here speaks of the Holy Spirit's enabling is enabling for us to serve the Lord. Now the idea really comes from Old Testament times, right? Only like prophets, only priests, right? Or kings, even kings were anointed to serve the Lord in their position that they're given. But now in Jesus, 
right? The Holy Spirit comes into all of us, and we're baptized, Acts chapter 2, to serve the Lord. We're equipped and empowered to do what Jesus wants us to do. Well, what Paul is saying here, the idea is to go against Paul is to go against another team member who's serving the Lord. To go against Paul is to go against another team member. They're serving too. They've been anointed too. They've been equipped also. Look, we're not to do that toward one another, to complain and criticize and get into this whole fest of going against Paul, the leader. Two American soldiers in Vietnam got into this beef with one another and while they were eating lunch. Well, the sergeant marched over, grabbed both of them by their collars, pointed to the fields outside, and said, the enemy is out there. Sometimes we fight each other when we're on the same team, you guys. We're all serving each other. We've been anointed to do what we're supposed to do here on this earth. So Paul's like, consider our connection. Believers are all established together. Believers are all anointed together. And number three, believers are all sealed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, Paul says, who also has sealed us. We're all sealed. What does that seal mean? Well, it speaks of the Holy Spirit in us as a seal of ownership. See, in ancient times when something was sealed and an item or merchandise was sealed, it was marked by the owners for identification that belonged to them or they made it, and it was uh, marked in that way for protection. So Paul's like, hey, this is the idea. To go against each other is to go against someone that God owns and protects. Yeah? Why would we do that? They're owned by God. They're protected by the Lord. Have you seen those engraving tools? I, I saw one the other day on Amazon. It was, it was the size of like a, a medium permanent marker. And there's actually like this metal tip on it. And it's, 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 um, there's two AA batteries in it. So you, it can go and you can etch, you know, your name or initials on, on your property, on, on things like that. I don't know how good it works. I mean... It looked like it had four stars, but you know how you look at that and everything. Well, that's the Holy Spirit in us. It's saying, hey, we belong to God. The Holy Spirit in us says we belong to God and he protects his property. So why would we go against God's own property? Number four, believers are all given a guarantee. Believers are all given a guarantee. Verse 22, and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So Paul says in verse 22, this last part, is how the Holy Spirit in our hearts is a guarantee. Another word for that is deposit, a down payment for the assurance of our eternal inheritance. And that means we're going to go home, we're going to be in glory, and we're going to get glorified bodies. There's more to come. The best is yet to come. And God has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee, as for us to say, oh, something is going to come in the future. Woo-hoo, can't wait for that. So here's Paul. The idea for him saying this is why go against each other when one day we will all be living together in heaven. 
We're going to be together. Why go against each other? Look, another way to put it is, hey, we're stuck with each other, okay? <laughs> you got to love me. You, we got to forgive. We got to be together, yeah? No, you know, God has put us. We're this together as this family. We're going to all live in heaven together. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're citizens of heaven, guys. We, we, we belong to, to one country, one kingdom, Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, hey, consider our connection here. First of all, we're established together. We're secondly anointed together. We're sealed. We're, we're all given the Holy Spirit as a guarantee together. Then look at verse 23. Paul says, Moreover, I call God as a witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. So Paul begins to now explain a little more why he didn't make that second stop. Paul says, Because you know, because we have this, this deep connection that we're all established, anointed, sealed, given the Holy Spirit guaranteed together, because of this deep connection, and, I, and, and that connection brings this great care I have for you. The reason my plans change to not come a second time is that to spare you, the middle of verse 23. To spare you. Paul didn't want to come with this heaviness and exhortation and, and, and just be heavy upon them. But he wanted to give them time to deal with their sin and their problems. You remember, you remember how Paul went, we learned this last week, Paul made that first stop. He saw the Corinthians were still carnal, were still selfish, still prideful, still divisive, still fighting each other. Even after he wrote 1 Corinthians, after all that he wrote in there, after all that we studied in there, after all that he exhorted in there, they're still the same. And, and so he had to talk to them about that. He had to get on them about that. And he called it really 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 1, we're going to see next time, that that was a very painful visit for him. It was hard for him to be that heavy because they are this way. And so Paul didn't want to make things worse by feeding into their fleshly antagonism and, and, and being conf confrontive with, well, about their sin. He had already written this severe letter uh, before writing this one we're, we're reading right now. So he wanted to allow time for God to work. And I found that in ministry. Sometimes you've got to allow God to work. Sometimes the distance is necessary for healing. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 24, our last verse, he writes, Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So Paul's saying, and, and understand this, it's not that we want to have this dominion over your faith. Like, like we don't want to be these spiritual dictators pushing you to do something, yeah? Uh, forcing you, forcing the issue. That, that's not us. No, you know what? We're all in this together. He's saying we're, we're all fellow workers. We're team players here. In this effort to spread the gospel, I mean, yeah, they're the apostles, they're the leaders, but, but that's not what we're about. We're in this together. We're, we're, we're team workers in, in this faith by which you stand, by which we all stand. 
In other words, Paul knows that God will work in the hearts without having to be overly pushy and push the issue. Why is that? Because Paul knows that these Corinthian believers are the real deal too. In other words, they are saved people in Jesus Christ. God is working in their lives. They're not like some of these false teachers. that They're not really saved. They come in as charlatans and hypocrites, and they want to make money. They want to uh, gain a following. There's some of those who aren't really saved. But he knows the church in general, in Corinth, they're the real deal. Jesus saved them. God is working in their life. I don't have to be this heavy all the time. I don't have to be the one calm, controlling the situation. Paul, I'm no spiritual dictator here. It's been said God reserves three things to himself. One, to make something out of nothing. Number two, to know future events. And number three, to have dominion over men's consciences. And then that's that third one. That's where Paul is say, saying. Paul is like, see, look, you know, it's, it's not that I wasn't unreliable. It's not that I didn't care for you guys. It's not that I'm running away from the problem. But Paul says, I trust God to do the work in you. Paul didn't need to control things, but he allowed God to be that sovereign one in their lives. J. Vernon McGee said, Paul stayed away so that their faith might be strengthened and that they might grow in the Lord. So our last point is here. Consider, Paul is saying, consider our connection. Consider our spiritual connection. For we are all in this together and we all need each other as God works in each of our lives. Consider our spiritual connection for we are all in this together we all need each other as god works in each of our lives isn't that isn't this wonderful paul he's just he's sharing his heart he's sharing his love he we have a connection he's saying he didn't throw them to the side oh you sinners you guys you know i don't want to do anything i don't want to have anything to do with you anymore you know this is like twice now this is you know what i give up now yeah yeah, you're not going to fool me again. I'm not going to be fooled twice. Yeah, I'm not. The, no, Paul knows who they are. They're saved people. So Paul's reaching out saying, hey, consider what I'm saying here. Consider our connection. We're all in this together. We all need each other. And you know what? God's working in each of our lives. You know, it's been told during the Battle of Alamo in Texas in 1836, Lieutenant Colonel Buck Travis drew a line in the sand. He actually drew a line in the sand and he asked for those who will never surrender but fight to death to come and stand with, with him. Everyone else you can go, but anyone else who wants to just stand with me and, and fight to the death, come. And that's what happened. Though they lost, history records and honors their heroic effort. And that was honorable, him drawing a sign in the land. But you know what? We do the same and it's not honorable. Sometimes we draw a line in the sand to separate those who are, we got angry with, to keep them on the other side, those who hurt us, to, to say, I'm drawing a line here, you cannot cross this, to those who have criticized us, to those who have not believed in us. I'm on one side, you stay on your side. And you draw that line and you break that connection that God has put us in. 
Is that you? Have you drawn a line in the sand of, of your heart? Maybe, you, maybe it's not a line. Maybe you put a fence up there. Maybe you put a fence so people won't hurt you again. It's hard. I know. It's hard. It's hard in a church. There's always things going on. There's always relationship issues. We, we, we maybe not intentionally hurt each other or say something we shouldn't. It happens. It happens. It's hard. But you and I, we must consider our spiritual connection we have together in Jesus. Think about, about Paul, how hurt he must have been because he loved the Corinthians so much, but they were doing this. They were coming against it. They were listening to the false teachers. Here's Paul who brought them the gospel, who started the church, and now these false teachers just come in. They, they're going with them. Think about how he felt. But you know what? He kept reaching out. He kept reaching out. And even to the point that he didn't go in and control the situation. Isn't that what happens to us? We draw this line, and then we come in, we take control. We start to punish the other person, push the other person. We try and even avenge our hurts and our so-called, well, I'm going to take care of this in the Lord. But is it really? It's still in our flesh isn't it? It's still our flesh. It still is ugly. The thing is, is that's not my job, right? That's not our job. Our job is to keep the connection. Our job is to love. Our job is to forgive. Our job is, is to stay together as a team and work these things out as we go move forward and being a light and witness for the Lord. God's job is to work in the heart. God's job is to, is to work on that person. Paul saying, look, I didn't come that second time because of any hurt, any bitterness. I wasn't angry with you guys. But I didn't come because God didn't want me to come. I didn't come because I'm letting God control the situation, not me. What a great example Paul is, yeah, of a true believer, of someone who really knows how to handle these situations. He reached out, yeah, when God wanted him to. He said things when God wanted him to. He wrote these letters, and they're serious letters, and we're going to see more stuff here in 2 Corinthians when God wanted him to. But when God wanted to do the work, he allowed God to work in the heart of those people in his own heart he allowed god to work without him even being around and that's hard isn't it i mean so much so i don't know about you but me i mean if something happens i i gotta be there i gotta have my hand in there i gotta be I, I not to be part of this hard it's hard to give that up to the lord isn't it when he says no wait wait no let me work or you're gonna mess it up you know okay 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 but God, you're right. I mean, it's hard. Not Paul. Paul trusted God enough to allow him to work without him. And I think we need to do the same, don't we? We seem to always be taking control. Have you been taking control where you shouldn't be taking control lately? You think it's your duty. Maybe in some ways it is. But is that what God really wants right 
now? That's the question. Let's be careful, guys, that we really look into our own self on these things that we're just studying. Let's be real with the Lord. Don't proudly think that I'm okay. The reality is, if, you, if we're not like Paul, I, I confess, I'm not. We're, and, and if we say, oh, well, I'm okay, we're really chasing something that is not what a true Christian is. I'm saying it straight to you guys. If you say, yeah, I'm a true Christian, I'm a man of God, I'm a, I'm a godly woman, and you think you're, you're okay and you're doing these things, it's not. You're not genuine. I'll close with this. A man had a pesky mouse problem, and his wife demanded he take care of it right away. Now he had a trap, but no cheese. It was too late to drive to the store, so he decided to cut out a picture of a piece of cheese from a magazine, and then he placed it on the trap. Well, next morning, he went to check on the trap, and as he approached, a smile came to his face. It seemed indeed he had fooled the mouse and caught it. But when he got up to the trap on closer inspection, the man was very surprised to find that he had actually failed. It was only a picture of a mouse. <laughs> I love that. You know, don't be satisfied with anything less than being a true believer, as Paul shows us here then you and I, we can be like Paul, the real deal. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us of our sins, God, of, of thinking we're okay when we're not, Lord, of being proud, of being selfish, of being saying, oh, yeah, I stand by my principles, yet we manipulate, yet we press, yet we're, we're spiritual dictators on others, because we take control, fleshly control. Forgive me, God, for doing those things. Lord, help us all to be listening to your Holy Spirit, to be submitting to the leading of your will and what you are doing, to have the understanding and knowledge that we are all in this together, that we're a family, that one day we're going to live together forever, that, that, that we're a team working to spread the gospel and the enemy is out there not inside the church. God, help us to be united unto you, Jesus Christ, united in love, united in forgiveness, united that we're, each one of us is just as bad and wrong as the other person. And we need to give each other mercy and grace, just as you give us grace every day. For it's by grace we live. And it's by grace I am what I am. Oh, Lord, I have failed you, and I, I, I am just humbled and, and shamed, God. We all are, Lord. But you know our heart, because, Jesus, you're in us, and you're real. Because, God, you are doing a work within us all. And it's not that we're, we're, we're so bad and that you cast us aside. No, you're just trying to help us grow. So let us take these words today, God, your word, and let us put it 
and apply it into our lives. Let none of us walk out of here, Lord, without saying to you, God, forgive me, and I commit and submit my life to you, God, to live these things out. Help us today, Lord. As our eyes are closed right now, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do just that. Perhaps your life has been lived in a manner that is just like what Paul is saying here in the wrong way. Perhaps you've fallen short of what the Lord is asking us to do. I want to give you an opportunity to commit your life to the Lord in these things. And I'm going to do something different here. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and come forward. To come forward right here. We can raise our hands. We can stand in our place. But if we really want to show the Lord that you mean, you want to be different, that you want to live, God, live before the Lord in this manner. I want you to come up forward right now. Right now, come up and stand before me right here up front. Perhaps maybe this morning you have uh, never received Christ before. Perhaps maybe you're here and, 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 and you never really come to the Lord to give you your, your life to Him and receive Him into your heart and accept Him. I want you to come forward too. This is the moment, this is the time to do this. Perhaps you've been coming here. You've been to church several times, but in reality, you've never given your life to the Lord. Come forward right now. Perhaps this morning you're here and, and you've wandered off and suddenly you found yourself here. You know, it's not by accident. Maybe you wandered away from the Lord. You've been living your life for the world, but God is calling you back right now. God is saying, I love you. I want you. I want you to be with me. I want to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you. I want, you, I want to bring you back into this close relationship with me. I want you to get up and come forward right now. Come forward. We're going to sing a little bit right now. And as we're singing, I want you to come forward to either commit your life in these things that you've been failing in or, or receive Jesus for the first time, first time or rededicate your life. I want you to come forward right now. Make the stand by coming forward. Make the commitment to Jesus by coming forward. Surrender your life by coming forward right now.
God bless you guys to come forward. It is a moment that I want you to remember that Christ wants to work in your life like never before. And what we've spoken about this morning, uh, whether you're giving your life to Jesus, recommitting, or needing help to deal with these issues in our life, God wants to free you empower you, forgive you, and give you a new start right now. Let's all pray. Lord, I pray for these who have come up forward right now, God, that you would touch their hearts, Lord. I pray over them, that you would anoint them, that you would cleanse them, Lord, that you would hear their hearts as they pray to you. Now you guys who have come forward, I want you to repeat after me and anyone else out there. Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Cleanse me now. I give you my life. I dedicate myself to you. Receive me, my heart, my mind, all of me, and make me a new person. Free me from my sins from this day forward. I surrender all. I give you all. I place myself into your hands. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray once more over these, God, empower, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Equip them now. Wipe away, Lord, the sins the ugliness, God, 
Give them victory over the flesh. And may every step they take be lived for you. And Jesus, may you go with them always and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.